0: Change. It's like my dreams out of reach This pain and all this grief if you see God who you have to Tell him it's crazy in these streets Feel my pain and it's so good Yo, I'm Pastor Phil. Welcome to Church on the Block. Real talk about hip-hop, the church, and the streets with my great co host Pastor J and Ruck Boy on Holy Culture Radio, Sirius XM, channel 154. Tell him it's <laughs> crazy Welcome to Church on the Block, Holy Culture Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 154, 9 a.m. Central Time, 10 a.m. Eastern. You're at the right channel, right time, right place. We are all about unveiling, unpacking, revealing, going deep, answering, asking certain questions, um, and just having fun, really, uh, with Church on the Block about what does it mean to be to be real in this thing uh, uh, called faith. Too many times... Uh, folks talk about how Christians are fake and all that kind of stuff. So we, we want to expose that reality and, 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 and not, not even just expose it, but model <laughs> through what we talk about on radio, a, a real faith and authentic space. And, and today my great hosts are, um, not with us because we are doing some unique things and they're going to be back with us soon, but we're going to just talk a little bit with our great producer, uh, Colleen. And, um, we're just going to uh, unpack a few things about. Uh, me. I guess in some regards, a little <laughs> bit about what uh what I've been doing and 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 how I've been doing it, just in case you um didn't know about what uh what we do or what I'm what I what I've been doing here in Chicago. So,
1: well, Phil, I actually this was my idea. I'll say it. This was my idea because I I've, I've been working with you for a long time, and I've heard you mention things here and there about your story and about your past and. I just felt like I would love to know more. And I'm sure that our listeners who've been listening every week have heard you talk about all sorts of things. And it would be great to get to know you, the person, and um, just know you a little bit more personally this episode. So I'm excited. I've got Lots of questions as we were just even sitting here just kind of thinking I'm like, oh, there's so many things I would love to ask Phil about. But I to start, I'd love to know like who like your family? Who are you? Your I know you've talked about your wife, you've got kids and grandkids. I'd love to know um who you who your most important people are.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you. So I am Blessed and honored and humbled to be married to a beautiful African-American woman, strong, funny, loving, tender, uh, brilliant, beautiful uh, Kimberly Jackson, who is... uh, just the love of my life. we've been married since 1985, July 20th, 1985. Uh, we got married. She was super late to the, to the wedding. But that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> about the wedding. And um, we got married outside from Kansas city, Missouri. We met in college at a small school called central Missouri state university, Warrensburg, the mules. If you're a mule, mule ball, mule ball. I played football for one year. Cause um, my grades are just horrible. Um, but, um, like a 1.9 GPA. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, we met in college, dated for a couple of years, and then um, 83 to 85 and got married at 85. And she was in the Air Force, moved to California, um, Travis Air Force Base. Well, I was selling books. No, I was selling books. I was selling car phones and pagers and copy machines and everything in sales. And then uh, when, when she was expecting our first child, we were, we were expecting, um, we ended up moving back to Kansas City from California because we were young. I was 21. She was 19. I'm like, Snoop Dogg is in California, girl. It, it's so much drama in the LBC. It's hard being Snoop D-O-Double. We got to move to Kansas City and get our, raise our kids uh, away from all this uh, <laughs> West Coast hip hop. But uh, we um, raised our kids up there. Uh, we have three uh, adult kids now. Seven, seven, grandkids and um, soon to be eight uh, uh, at this point and um, we're all in Chicago everybody's here uh, my oldest daughter's close on the west side everybody else abandoned the west side and now on the south side we don't even really we shouldn't even really count them anymore because <laughs> they're on the south side of Chicago <laughs> but yeah those are, those are our family we live in East Garfield right here in, in the, on the west side of Chicago
1: Side of Chicago. Now, did you grow up in Kansas City? Is that where you have lived your early life?
0: Yeah. Grew up in the projects in Kansas City. And um, mom was white, dad was black in the 60s. Um, You know, my family, my mom and dad couldn't get married in um, Missouri, they had to get married in Kansas because they were a biracial family <clears throat> they could wow. not get married in, in, in Missouri. And when I was born, I was born in a, a Kansas hospital because they were nervous in a Missouri hospital if it would be a situation. And so wow. I was born in 60 um, something. I'll say that 60, I don't care. 64. <laughs> um, and so, um, yeah, raised us up in this, uh, in, in the projects and got a, got a crib in, 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 in a hood. And, um, and I went to this all white Catholic high school growing up. And, you know, when you come from the hood and you go outside the hood, you realize, dang, I'm broke. Mm-hmm. I'm going to this all white Catholic high school, four or five buses. I'm taking to school, working at the school to pay for some of the tuition but pretending like I was there early to work out and hoop and lift weights mm-hmm. or whatever, but I didn't want to tell about I was broke, but like, yo, these kids are driving to school. I'm like, dang. And some of them were driving and seeing me walk up to school from the bus stop and they would come pick me up. Uh, so in light of, in light of uh, that, that journey uh, of high school, I learned a lot, confronted with a lot with different racial situations yeah. uh, as the only black kid in that school for four years. So it was just a, Situation that was interesting. But it had some you know, good friends, but it was also also challenging in that space. You know.
1: Yeah. How has that yeah. served you now as an adult in the ministry that you do?
0: That's kind a good question. I, yeah, I know that. Um, I think it's true when I talk to most African Americans that there is this uh, weaker stronger mindset. Oftentimes, African Americans have unconsciously because of it being so permeated in our culture and in our DNA. I think over the generations. If you're aware of it, you may have a vibe where you may feel weaker, stronger than with, than other white colleagues, even if you have the same academic background, even even wealth-wise. Um, mm-hmm. And so that came about when I'm going to this all-white Catholic high school, just realizing economically I'm not where they are and don't have this. And I can't be in those conversations because I don't know what you're talking about, what party, what concert, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And so it creates a way, if you're not careful, where you try to figure out a way where you can. Get and be co-equal. So, ah, maybe in sports, I could be co-equal. Maybe this, I could be co-equal. Maybe so now. And then sometimes that's a a pseudo uh, co-equal because it's just like, we're going to use you in sports so you can get where we all want to be, but we still don't see you other than this person to play, uh, perform per se. And so it served me well by being aware of that in my own self, right? And knowing that. I am just as strong and equal with um, my white brothers and sisters. Um, and then sometimes I have to fight that through, especially in our work in ministry where I'm trying to raise money and mm-hmm. folks may not even be thinking about how they're functioning, but because our cultural norms are in such a way, it comes across like, um, okay, were they shooting shots at me right then because of how they, how they said that around our work. And I can't feel like I, I can boldly shut them off. Um, now I can. I mean, now now I'm in a different space to do that. But earlier on, it was like I got to tiptoe around that space. And I think a lot of students who go to HBCU schools, historically black colleges and universities, are able to in you know recognize who they can be because they're around other African American students, and it's not a white or black thing. Mm-hmm. So now you build a new rhythm, a new mindset with your own peers. I can do this outside of school. I'm the mm-hmm. same way. I've just seen a different courage. And I'm not going kind of attitude when it comes to that that kind of mindset that is not oftentimes the place when African American students go to traditionally white universities and colleges. Um, and that way, it's a different kind of different kind of struggle. I mean, even in the book um, "Divided by Faith," right? Um, Michael Emerson talks about you know, when white America catches a cold, black America catches pneumonia. You know, mm. um, and and I think, you know, that served me well to be observant of that stuff in my own self so that I could fight against it. So I could find a co-equal voice. And I, and I, you know, and, and part of it now that I'm older, like I'm older. So it is what it is. I'm, uh, so I'm older. So I got some tenure because I'm older, right? I've been around the block four or five times in, in addition to being African American in this context. So there's some things that I feel I can say and do, um, over the last couple of years, um, and, and not feel like, folks don't get it. And what I found is that when I do come boldly with that, now that's not right. This is bogus. This is not going to ha- happen this way. There is oftentimes with the right people, a welcoming of that discussion. Like it's not like as intimidating as I thought it was. Oh, okay, cool. Then we can talk uh, real uh, with each other versus kind of tiptoeing around things like that. You know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Was your college an HBCU? I don't know.
0: Nah, no, my that. college was a, uh, what they call, uh, uh Traditionally, um, predominantly white university, CMSU. Oh, so yeah. Yeah,
1: so you, yeah. Was about 45 you were- minutes
0: away from Kansas City from where I grew up. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, so no, I wasn't. But I've always been a champion of that as I've been in ministry, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. Now, I know you have a, a background in radio, which is why you are yeah. so well suited to to do this podcast. How did that come about?
0: So I've been in ministry now 34 years in a full-time context since 87. And so I was in radio in Kansas City because of our um, our efforts to um, have young people have a touchable faith. And I said to this radio station, Yo, can you give us a radio show where we can have a voice that young people can say, this is what we're about. And they gave us two hours they had two shows. It was called Youth Alternative Radio. And the first show was all about situations young people find themselves in with parents, with God, with boyfriend, girlfriend, just their voice about their issues. And we let them talk. We did skits. We did like, you know, not no, you know, trapped in the closet, R. Kelly, (laughs) 28 chapters, but we would have things would be part one, part two around a scenario that young people came up with, which was really cool and fun. And then we had open mic dialogue folks call in and uh, as young people put the show together then the uh, the second show was a um christian hip-hop countdown show we just made up a countdown it wasn't no billboard it wasn't no nothing we just said the songs we liked the most and we're going to say this is the number one song of the week and um we played you know a bunch of music on that show and then we had different artists on there and talking so that was My whole effort was that I wanted other young people to be exposed to their own power and their own voice while other people are, while all the young people are hearing their peers voice that they would say, yo, I can do this. How do I connect with y'all? So we created this whole youth alternative coalition of young people from all over Kansas city who would come together, help us think through topics and different concerts and stuff we would do, do all these different Christian hip hop concerts because of the radio show where they were feeling, and I believe, uh, Resonated with being confirmed, affirmed you know, in their faith and the way in which they express their faith that way. Um, and then in, in Chicago, we moved to Chicago 92 um, from Paseo Baptist Church. I was at two churches. I served a youth pastor in Kansas City, St. James United Methodist Church and then Paseo Baptist. <clears throat> and then Laundry Community Church in Chicago. And then a guy on radio in Chicago said, I mean, you need to do the show and, on Friday night. So I came into the show for about a year and a half. Um, it was cool. I think 90 from Oh three to maybe Oh five. And then they came in with, you got to have on air union certificate or whatever the case is, whatever. So I stopped. Um, cause I had to be on the air at least for four hours. I'm not going to know four hours on the radio. I'm going to do this two hours and hour and a half or whatever I'm out. But that's kind of how radio came about. My the whole, again, the whole center point is, yo, look at this faith, this enjoyable, crazy, authentic faith. Don't look at it stale. Look at young people looking at it. Look at transformation happening in people's lives. It's about a journey, not a destination. God will handle the destination. You just journey with Christ, learn who Christ is, recognize um the beauty of a life in, in Him that way, recognize the challenges and the pain and the frustration as well. And so we was that, space to be real, you know, in, in, in the, in, in that mode that way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that. I love, I didn't realize that your radio and days in Kansas city were geared towards young people. i I am learning that you've just always had this real passion for young people yeah. um, and students in ministry. So I love, I love all of that, um, especially <laughs> as somebody who, has been a youth pastor and a high school teacher and they're my jam, but we are going to come back and I've got more questions. I want to hear more about your ministry with young people and, um, and kind of the heart of that. Um. So we'll come back in just a little bit and return with uh, the, the tables have turned and now pastor right. Bill is the one answering <laughs> the questions.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> Yo, you're listening to Church on the Block, real talk about hip hop, the church and the streets. Do not, you hear me? Do not touch that dial. Do not touch that knob. Don't unplug the Bluetooth. Stay right here with us. Church on the Block. We'll talk about hip hop, the church and the streets. And we're back, Church on the Block. Real talk about hip hop, the church in the streets, Holy Culture Radio, Channel One Fifty Four, Sirius XM. Here we go. <laughs>
1: well, we are. We've turned the mics around, and I am <laughs> the producer, Colleen, and I'm here. I'm asking Phil questions uh, <laughs> because I I think we all want to get to know the man behind the microphone a little oh. bit better. <laughs> So in the last segment we were talking about your we sort of ended talking about your work on the radio and you hosted a show really geared towards youth which I hadn't realized how much of your career has really been focused on youth including yes. what you're doing now. So I my my first question really is um I know you grew up in the church. I know that's a big part of your story. Has mm-hmm. God and church and all of it always been really important to you? Did you have a moment in your youth that has really led you to feel passionate about youth? Um, what is your, what's your story there?
0: You know, um, that's a good question. I um, have served in a full-time way at a local urban church or somewhere uh, for 34 years, but it uh, it is birthed out of the passion of passion and pain from my own upbringing. My dad was very verbally and physically abusive to me growing up as a kid and finding God, needing God to be like my dad, right? Really to be, <clears throat> be that for me. And, um, took a while to live that out. You know, I, I believed it and recognized Christ in that context, but, but to live that out, uh, was so challenging because, uh, the father wounds that I did have, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be the man with all these other dudes so that they could give me what my father wasn't giving me in, the, in that, in that space. Right. <clears throat> and so, I think, um, junior year thereabouts, or I know eighth grade, I came to faith in Christ and, um, you know, I was in the choir church, uh, Jameson, uh, uh, temple, um, it's a CME Christian Methodist Episcopal, uh, church. And, uh, and so I, um, knew, uh, you know, I love the Lord and, and, and was committed to, to Christ, but then, you know, in in situation with my dad and things like that, my mom and I were great friends and, 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 you know, really save my life in my family with my dad, but um, I didn't really see a practical way of this thing, living out by way of uh, not wanting to go to hell and wanting to live for Christ. You know, that's oftentimes the challenge and in, in African American worship experience in some traditional settings is all about the deity of Christ. And and that's a beautiful thing, deity of God. However, um, there's a, 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 almost like a shameful Uh, aspect to talk about Christ's humanity and so i uh never really recognized that until uh my own stuff was uh up against a wall right and so i'm you know trying to live this thing out in high school and everything else like that um i was um involved in some street stuff call myself trying to sell dope but I, i i got the count wrong i would always mess the count up so i wasn't necessarily that dude to uh Bring about uh too much happy, happy, joy, joy to the people who like it counters off. Um, and so found my way in sports and went to the school, you know, and uh it wasn't until really um um Kim and I were married eighty five, back at Kansas City, eighty six, my son is born, eighty six, like the fall of eighty six, I am like separated from Kim. I'm wilding out. Um don't know, you know, uh, I was just hurt on the inside and crushed by my own stuff that I hadn't dealt with even before God. And, you know, we were separated for 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 a little bit and God brought us back together in 87, um, middle of 87 or thereabouts. And, but that came about because I, I was with a guy who had studied the word, loved the, loved the Lord. Uh, I, I happened to get him a job at a place where I where I worked at and he uh knew the word and he was teaching me the word. And I'm like, man, shut up. This stuff is whack. Um, well, not whack. I said, I already know this stuff. Basically, I already know what this is. I've been to church. I know what this is. And then he said, what's your relationship with, with, you with Kim? And, and what's your relationship with the Lord? And I told him my relationship was about eight. And he said, well, you're separate from Kim and you mess with all these women. Your relationship is a zero. And so I was like, what are you talking about? So that's when we studied the, the word and unpacked all of that. That gave a, a whole new epiphany and awareness of what it really means to live this thing out. And from there, I just began to try to live this thing out. And then, Kim, I was doing stuff in the Juvenile Detention Center. I was like, yo, I cannot let another young person who have faced some of the things I've faced or challenged or some of the things I have challenged or go to church and not see a tangible, real Christ who cares if you farted, who cares if, mm. you know, your cousin got asthma and you live in a house where everybody smokes. But I mean, who cares deeply about every nook and cranny of your life, uh, in a, in a real humane way. And it was as, as if I was on this, on this p- trajectory, but I know it was calling the ministry. I just knew I hadn't, I could not let another young person go through this void in this space. And so I was doing this stuff at United Teacher Center. We started this thing called Project Comeback and, uh, and God brought Kim and I back together and I was at a church, um, and Emmanuel Cleaver said, man, God's calling you to ministry. I'm like, what do you mean? And... Uh, who Emmanuel Cleaver was the first black mayor of Kansas city eventually for two terms. And now he's a Congressman. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, I don't know, this has been called a ministry. I just know I, I got to work with young people and, and, and figure this thing out with them. And, um, that's what ministry is like, wow. So he hired me on staff and I was serving there for a while. And then, um, I resigned and ended up going somewhere in the nineties to go to uh Paseo Baptist church. And uh, where Tony Evans was, you know, disciple by Pastor Briscoe, and Pastor Briscoe was just a, a great man of God. And I did a bunch of hip hop stuff there, and then moved from there to, from Kansas City to Chicago. So that that's sort of how that uh, that ministry kind of journey went from this. Um, um, I can't let another young person cross my path without them knowing this deep humanity of Christ, who, who is also God, who loves you, who is, uh, uh, committed, uh, to, to a journey with you. So that was, that's kind of how that all came about. And that love is still there, you know, to serve young people even now.
1: I love that. I love that. It just feels so inherent and pure that you just really, you, it was about the kids. It was about, you know, the young people in your path. Yeah. and and a real passion for them. Um, so then you came to Chicago and you were the youth pastor at Lawndale.
0: Yeah. Lawndale community church. I came in as a youth pastor, a youth pastor just retired or resigned or something. And um, Carrie Casey, who is the national urban director for F- F- FCA fellowship of Christian athletes was also assistant pastor of Lawndale community church. Oh, assistant pastor of Paseo Baptist left uh, Kansas City went to be co pastor of Londo Community Church and said, Phil, this is a perfect church for you. You got to come here. Mm. And um, his kids were involved in our youth ministry. Marcellus Casey, uh, who is now the chaplain for the um, Kansas City Chiefs, was a kid in our youth ministry. Oh, wow. uh, K- Kerry was uh, the so he, he was like the chaplain for the Seoul Korea Olympics and all that kind of stuff. So he's always involved in sports. And so it was just, a, you know, Londo Community Church is has a medical clinic. They have seven medical clinics. They have a legal center. They have housing ministry. They have men's recovery home. Um, you know, um, so being that interwoven with the fabric of the community was where my heart always was that, that this faith has to like real be, you know, be lived out in real time. And so that was where my, my yearnings were, you know, when it comes to, to that space and it just fit me perfectly. And, from all of that, it's where our youth ministry is called More Than Conquerors. We did all these different crazy things. And I began to speak around the country to young people and to youth workers. And, um, and then we started this hip-hop church like in 2003. In it all came about uh, with young people I was speaking to around the country. And they were enjoying whatever we were doing and, and, the, and stuff with hip-hop and things like that. And they're like, where can I get this in my church or do this in my church? I'm like, yo, I'm not in Memphis or I'm not in Florida or I'm not in New York. Uh, but I, just a pricking in my heart, like, man, if there's young people like this in these other places, there's something going on, I believe, that God is leaning to these young people to hear his word and to resonate with him to, to a tangible faith. And that's when we got with young people in Chicago and said, let's start a, a church. But what what would it look like if it was not like the traditional church? And these young people put all these different thoughts together. And then we started the house. And so we named it the house after you know Psalm 150, one, 127, let the Lord build a house. Those that labor, labor in vain. So we always had a phrase like, unless the Lord build a house, what? Like, stop talking. Like, stop and go back and let the Lord build a house. And we also believe that everything starts in the house, too. Wherever you grow up at, good, better, or different, everything starts in the crib. And we didn't want to be a church where it was like the new um, greater love, epiphany, Pisca, Mount Piska first of all, ain't nobody got enough phonetics to break all that down the hood and pronounce pisca. Um, So let's make it something that's like palatable, like, you know, life or the house or um, the crib and have a little hip hop uh, swag to it. And, um, you know, four or five hundred young people were coming out, you know, on Saturday nights. Um, and we kept that going to like 2016. And then some young people now who are adults are like, hey, let's start the house again. And so it's one of those things where if, if this is then another unctioning of spirit of God with other young people wanting to see this, um, because of that void that they may feel within the church or their voice not heard, um, again, um, what we welcome that. So that's how, why we believe God is leading that in that space, in that context. Uh, now I just went a whole rabbit trail down a whole other path, but that's, <laughs> that's no, I uh, love it. I love it. So story. that's,
1: well, that's what I want to know. So what, what does the, like, Tell us about the house. Tell us about what it provides, what it's doing in the community.
0: Yeah. Um, so, so the house church, uh, uh, we paused in 2016. We bought in 07 because the young people are like, yo, where can we do the arts at every day? And so in 07, after you know we are just done the house for a couple of years, said, yo, let's do the arts every day. And so we found a fire station. We bought a Chicago fire station, a 100-year-old building, and 10,000 square feet. And we rehabbed it into the Firehouse Community Arts Center of Chicago. The fcac.org And that space is where uh, our mission is where like, like really tangible faith can come alive. Our mission um, is to interrupt the cycle of violence amongst youth and young adults in North Laundale, um To interrupt that cycle of, of violence in the life of youth and young adults in North Laundale through the power of arts and faith. And so we are, um, have seven different art disciplines. We have a whole outreach team that recruits young people who are, um, who are shooters um, who most likely to shoot somebody or to get shot. We, uh, recruit young people who are not involved in that kind of life and prevention in by the different art programs that we offer. Um, and we have a staff of 24 and, uh, full time, uh, folks, um, in really trying to be that salt and light and that, that, that lamp, uh, really in North Lawndale and using the arts as a key, key tool of that. So it's about 2,500 young people we touch. Uh, year, a good 300 that are with us um, in intentional classes, whether they're in the school at North London College Prep or at another school, or they're in our building with an art class or our violent interruption work. And so it is, um, and, you know, we have our own catering company where we teach workforce development, all these kind of things that, that take place. So um, VIP is the name of our violent interruption work. It's called VIP for very important process because it's a process to unlearn some stuff that you've uh, learned and lived in for so long, and then uh, Spark Arts is our arts arm. That's that's an arm of ages from thirteen to like eighteen or thereabouts, and VIP is more seventeen to twenty nine. And then our our, our workforce development complements young people who are in our VIP work, who are you know trying to find a career path and, and move out of this out of this stuff on the streets and. Um, you know, our Spark Art stuff. We're trying to really create a, an, an army of, of artists that would also find a way that their art can feed them. If they can teach dance in a school, or if they can teach it at a at a Y, and find that this is a, a space for them to be um, to be whole in that way. So, um, yeah, that's what we do in, the, in that building. It's like six days a week. It's a bunch of stuff that that takes place, and then we have a big, huge. Um, Firefest hip hop block party every august and i've been doing that 15 years the firehouse has been around 15 years with all the work that we've been doing um and having as much impact as we've sought to have um for that that length of time um as well around these particular things of violent interruption to the arts yeah
1: hmm. I love that. I've been able to to go to the firehouse. It's an awesome building. Yeah. Uh, and you can just tell yeah. there's just really neat things happening there. Um, you've also, I know, because we've had them on as guests, you've sort of been host to a number of really awesome hip hop artists, Christian hip hop artists, hip hop artists who are Christians. What has that meant to you to see these young people kind of grow up and and sprout wings and go out into the world with their art?
0: It's been a um you know a, just a phenomenal humbling experience like like um you know just the fact that um we cross paths at a, you know in, in, in different ways within their art and their gift to um uh to, to fan the flame of that, you know, like some of the artists we've interviewed, there weren't platforms for them to do it as much as they would have liked to or or have a platform that even honored it or recognized it. And so having that space where they could come and just go crazy with it, affirm the fact that this is valuable and they recognize its value through their, um, their own peers from A, buying the music to A, um, you know, having them perform at other, other venues at other churches or other, other places like that. And so we've had, um, nationally recognized artists be a part of our work from Lecrae to 116 to A1 Swift to Gospel Gangsters to T-Bone, uh, Grits, <laughs> artists from back in the day, uh, Corey Red and Precise. Um, but, you know, it was a, the house, uh, you know, just served as a platform for a message to say that this is okay. This is, you know, you're welcomed in the in this space, and the house um, uh, was that space. But the firehouse is the continuation of that in a daily practical way, in and, and that you are in your your um, your life and, and and who you are is is welcomed, uh, you know, uh, in that space. And we'll journey with you um, to take you where God would have you to go, Um, you know. So um, the evolution of of of, of seeing. Young people in one space to then like grow to another space. It's just been um, crazy as much as they um, started off, you know, however they were rhyming or whatever they were saying in their rhymes. And then from there to recognize, you know, what's going on in the culture and then, to, and, 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 to, and to step that up too. It's just been a, just been a, a you know, a beautiful thing to, to, to see that. As they've been making their impact in, in in the music or in their in their own way in, in that context, um, you know, just a powerful a powerful deal. And young people who've come to faith in Christ, who have grown and matured, who who I see at a grocery store, see somewhere else, like, yo, man, I remember, and I, or I was at the firehouse and I did this art, or I remember being at the house. It's just one of those kind of things. Like, okay, oh, God, as weird and odd as it may have seemed, um, this is right. This is perfect, you know. And sometimes I think. You know, there's an old gospel song that says, I'll go if I have to go by myself, you know, mm-hmm. and I think in our calling that God is saying, hey, I've made you uncomfortable in that area because down here doesn't look like up there mm-hmm. with senior citizens. And I want that part of the what we call the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples to happen. Um, so, yeah, that's that's our um our kind of philosophy, our, our mindset in, in, in that space. Meeting young people where they are, take them a God would have them be in a bold way. They may seem uncomfortable or weird in some ways, but normal to us. <laughs> you listen to Church on the Block. Real talk about hip hop, the church, and the streets. We'll be right back. Woo! Church on the Block. Real talk about hip hop, the church, and the streets. That make it hard to sleep. If you see God and you have to speak. Welcome back. Church on the Block. Real talk about hip hop, the church and the streets. And uh, we flip the mic around, as Colleen said, who is our great producer. And um, just dialogue and questions about um, our work.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks for letting me ask you all of these questions. I feel like Oprah right now. I'm feeling, I'm really Uh, loving it. I'm just getting to ask all these questions of interesting, an interesting person. Um, Well, I, in the last segment, you talked about your work with the firehouse and I was really struck by some of the stuff you're doing with your VIP program, which is the violence prevention program. You're going to need to say what um, very important What was it? Process. There we go. Mm Uh, and I'd love to know, I'd love to know more about that. I know we had a guest on, um, a few months ago that was, I think a part of that work and his life has really been changed because of it. And I just, I'd love to know more about, um, about that program.
0: Yeah. So, you know, Chicago, um, has been in the news a lot in different spaces about violence and, um, in, in Chicago, there are a lot of people really fighting to bring peace in these communities. You know, um, there are several people in several communities that are doing that, not just um, all over Chicago. They concentrated in Englewood or Back of the Yards or Humble Park. Um, we're, you know, in North Lawndale, and a part of our work, uh, not a part of our work, the core of our work, the ethos of our work can be wrapped in this one statement. Right. More contact, more impact, meaning that. The more that our outreach advocates can get you in our space, in a relationship with them, in connecting with them, uh, uh, and our navigators who are professional mentors, you're going to recognize it smells like Dolce and Gabbana over here, and it smells like boo boo where you go back to, right? And so if we can create more contact, more impact, where we have more boots on the ground, more, more time with um, our leaders, You'll recognize, yo, maybe I am a little bit more valuable than trying to run back and forth to sell this for so and so or be security for this mob or, um, you know, fight the situation or shoot at these people or steal a car. And that, that takes a, a level of, uh, deep relational connection. So part of our, I mean, the initial part of our work is our outreach advocates, the first line of defense. We focus on three particular areas in North Lawndale that are considered like the hottest areas um where the most fatalities in North Lawndale have happened. Last year, there's 42 murders in North Lawndale, and they, those three areas were responsible for like 29% of those murders. Now, praise God, this year from January to June, there were no murders in those three areas, and and we've seen violence go down in North Lawndale by 40, 44%, and it's still down. Um, so we're grateful to God uh, for that. But I believe since uh, July to the end of the year, there's been an increase um, in maybe in those same areas. However, we start off with our first line of defense with outreach advocates who have what we call LTO license to operate in those areas. And they're licensed to operate in those areas, uh, meaning that they either know, have respect or did their dirt but yet have a level of integrity in those same spaces as well. It's not like you did your work back in the day on a block in this area, but you shot everybody's mama. And so now you're trying to come back and be like, yo, I'm really doing this peace stuff, y'all. But you have no integrity because you never really create a space to reconcile with that past. And so these outreach advocates that, we, that are on staff with us uh, at the firehouse, they are and have that license to operate because of their Relationships with folks, their history and their integrity. They're not out there smoking weed with the same guys they talk about, get off the block with. Uh-huh. And maybe you stop smoking weed. Dude, you just smoke four joints with me. It's not gonna be the conversation that's gonna happen. Um our outreach advocates are not trying to co-sign on somebody, trying to shoot somebody who that outreach advocate might have been um, affiliated with, and now it may be just as mad, but they're not going to jump in a car and go, go ride. So there's real, real deep evaluative. That's a new word. Okay. Evaluation of each uh, outreach advocate before they get hired on. So outreach in phase one have all of this contact. I'm talking about 30 some hours on the block. Um, and, and they have so, I mean, we've had 150, 160 mediations so far this year mediations are where we know of potential hot situations happening and we interrupt it right then before it escalates and some that have already escalated we're interrupting those as well um our outreach advocates are out there when guys are on the block with guns trying to calm them down so it's, it's in a, you know taking their life in their own hands um uh, for the cause of of peace hmm. So you have to have a license to operate. You can't just come up there like, I don't know nobody out here. Y'all need to stop shooting people. You're going to get shot. Mm-hmm. So um, then in four months time, in phase one, in that four months time, twice a week, um, the young men often and some of the young women in this new cohort we work with are... Engaging with our mentors and, and and outreach, taking them out to eat, getting their IDs, getting birth certificates, state IDs, social security cards, stuff they never had before. Hmm. Um, at twenty something, at twenty eight, at twenty five, at eighteen, and um, helping them get their licenses together, helping them get all these things that could be triggers of what we call condition hopelessness that can continue that condition hopelessness to um, find hopefulness and resiliency, right? Um, Oftentimes in the city it's hopelessness and resiliency mm. <laughs> that coexists, hopelessness yeah. and resiliency. Our, our work has created hopefulness and resi- resiliency. So in the midst of all of that, in that four months, navigators who are professional mentors are also in these meetings at the pizza joints, at the auto mechanic place, at the uh home, whatever. And they're building those relationships, more contact, more impact. And the more contact, more impact that's there, it creates more power, more presence, more power, more presence, more power. So the more you're with somebody, the more you recognize how they dribble, how they shoot, how they do this or that. And so it is with, with our team, the more, more contact they have, more impact, the more presence, more power, more is caught than what's taught, you know, not to be rhyming everything, but that's sort of the, 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 the rhythm of the pro. Of the flow, once those four months are up, young men and women enter into VIP program, which we said very important process, and they're now with us in the building, twenty to twenty five hours a week for six months, mm-hmm. and they're with us January to June, um, in in soon to be three lo- four locations. We have two locations now, because where we're located at the firehouse as the headquarters, there are some cliques, gangs, mobs. Um, that we work with, they can't be in that building or they can, but they just scared when they come out, if things are going to go left. And so we just make sure that we have another location where they can go and move safely and free in those spaces. And in the six months they get, you know, this mentor, uh, ratio of one to five. So that's 40 something young people. So that's how many navigators we have for one to five, uh, ratio. And, and, and then there's, um, there's uh, counseling. There's therapy. There's spiritual formation. There's this, um, workforce development. There's education. If you don't have your high school diploma, we have scholarships for secondary education as well as trades. And all of that happens in a, in a rhythm. It doesn't all happen at one time because I, you know, part of your workforce development is to work in the kitchen, but we can't have you work in the kitchen. If you got an anger issue, you're going to take a knife and throw it at somebody. If the cook says, I need you to cook this stuff and such, make the sauce. Um, cause they got deadlines and now you're like, Oh, nobody talked to me that way and then I trying to talk to you in a way. They just mm-hmm. you just never had a job before and you never been told what to do. Yeah. So all of those things like that happen to help cast to unlearn, to relearn to to, to walk in their purpose um on the uh, on the on the you know, we have this whole phrase uh I live on purpose, um walk in authority on the strength of your character. Pack purpose, authority and character. That's where our spiritual formation is done. And and each young person has a packed life mission statement of what their life is going to be like. And as they come up with that, then we can hold them accountable for what it is that they said they want their life to look like. It's all inductive work, right? It's all inductive where they're processing their own stuff and saying, this is the direction I want to go into. And as they own that and recognize that, then it becomes, okay, you said you wanted to create peace and such and such and such and such in your world. Why are you over here on the block, you know, um, getting into trouble? Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. And so it's another language that we can engage in that they themselves have found an endearment to that are willing to at least, and by word of mouth, uh, be held accountable until until things happen. And then they graduate um, or they can be employed. If our catering company has got a lot of work and they want to do um, culinary arts and they can work at our catering company, uh, which is our you know, for profit that brings money to the nonprofit. And which
1: um, was just featured in the Marianos magazine, yes, correct? I just saw yes, that.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. It was just on Fox News and it was on Marianos magazine um, about our, our food distribution. We serve about uh, 200 families a week, fully cooked lunches and dinners, about 3,500, 4,000 pounds of food a, a week we buy for families. And um, Marianos gave us a lot of food this summer. Um, and we're going to be um giving away 450 fully cooked Thanksgiving dinners mm. this Thanksgiving to 450 families while we are um um you know uh uh, uh trying to 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 squeeze the gap uh that's there in Lodi with the food desert that, that's happening yeah. with the with the sense of urgency with our work And, uh, having to, um, just really be, uh, 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 relevant. So young people learn how to cook and they learn what it means to, uh, you know, have that, have that, that wax on, wax on Mr. Miyagi Karate Kid, having a work ethic. So they may not cook all their life, but they may recognize, man, I do, um, um, know how to follow these orders when I'm, when I'm creating this, um, this, um, this meal. So guess what? Maybe you, you could, you could work, um, at a, um, auto dealership where you gotta actually break down, um, <laughs> um, an oil change or whatever the case may be. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. they graduate and then, you know, we have a whole other group of ladies and guys come on back through. And then in the meantime, after school wise, our spark arts from four to seven is a bunch of break dance classes to visual art classes to film to, um, a bunch of stuff that happens uh, in the midst of that, uh, that's taking place.
1: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Well, I know you have some closing thoughts for us today, but before we do that, uh, and you don't, you didn't ask me to do this, but I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I'd love yeah. for you to share where people can find out more about Firehouse. If they maybe wanted to support the work that yeah. you are doing, the good work that you're doing, I'd love for people to be able to, to find that.
0: Yep. Yep. That, um that will work i appreciate that our our um website is the org, and um you can go on the site see our videos see our schedule of our programming stuff um all the things that that we have going on um that are um happening in real time uh and you can look at the older videos of some of the stuff that we that we've done our instagram is underscore the firehouse underscore and, um, you can check us out there as well with some of the stuff that's happening. I think we're the Firehouse Community Arts Center of Chicago on Facebook, but all those spaces, or if you want to come visit us in, in, in Chicago, if you're in Chicago at, uh, 2111 South Hamlin, Chicago, Illinois, 60623. That's, uh, that's our spot, The thefcac.org. Um, check us out.
1: <laughs> well, I just hearing you talk about this, I feel so grateful that you found this this ministry where you just did not want to let a single kid go um, through the world yeah. without knowing their place and their the love of God. and I am really thankful. I know there's a lot of lives that are changed because of that passion yeah. and that spark so.
0: Praise God. Yeah, We have a great team, too. We have a great team. So in our work at the Firehouse, we look at faith integration, not faith-based. Sometimes faith-based, to me, is politicized, but it's also like, this is the time we do faith. Faith interwoven. We're in an African-American community. It's 100-something churches. There's grandmamas, there's big mamas, there's mom mama and them. Ain't nobody in the hood scared to pray over some food. Ain't nobody scared to pray at the school. We have a Young Life Bible Club at the school, Breakfast Club. and we In the hood, it's comes with living in the hood. It comes with the territory. But what is not often resonated with cats in the hood is living and serving the Lord, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength because of all the churchianity that's there that gets in the way of real understanding who Christ is. In the scriptures in Mark chapter 10, you find this cat coming to Jesus and he says, good teacher in verse 17 what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, why do you call me good? Jesus asks. only God is good. But your answer, but to answer your question, you know, the commandments, um, do not murder. Don't commit adultery. You must not steal, you must not, uh, testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone or honor your father and mother. Now the guy says, man, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was a shorty, since I was a shorty, <laughs> Christ looks at him, What I love about this, and, and Jesus felt a genuine love for this man. And then Jesus says a statement, there is still one more thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad. Um <laughs> We had a lot of possessions. And Jesus says, man. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Now I'm going to say this to you real quick, um, is that loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength means that there's nothing else in competition with it. This man had a lot of competition that came into play with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what's beauty about this is that Christ gives to the man the commandments that are about um, us and us. He doesn't say... The, the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments are us loving God. The other commandments are us loving us. He says, go do this. You know, you've heard, you know, don't cause call, call false witness. Don't commit adultery, all these particular things. And the man could check those off the box. That's that churchianity. I check it off the box. I get it. I get it. I get it. But what he didn't have is a true love for God. And I believe that's why Christ says, yo, why you call me good? Only God is good. And if you call me good because you love me, you would. Follow my commands. What's holding you back from loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Nothing should be able to squeeze in between there to come in competition between you and God. It's kind of like this man um, who was very well off and he found a painting that he wanted to buy. He saw this painting and he said, man, I want this painting. I need to have this painting. And he had a couple of homes, you know, and he went and hired some people and they searched the country where he lived. For this painting. Then they searched the world for this painting. They were searching all over for this painting, man. And then he just began to like figure out I can't find it. It must be torn up. Nobody wants to sell it. But one day, one of his servants in one of his homes was cleaning up an attic and they found the painting. Come to find out, this man had bought this painting, didn't know what he did with it, and put up in this attic. The man had the painting the whole time. I'm saying to you, in you. Is the hope of glory. If you love the Lord with your, with your whole heart, Christ says, you don't need to search anywhere else. You need to look anywhere else. You don't need to find hope and church and anything else, but in me. The power that you have can't be found outside of Christ. The power that you need can't be found outside of Christ. Those are those bars. Trust the Lord. Love the Lord. Rest in the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you will find that God then will give you all the desires of your heart because you'll give those desires back to God to glorify him. You know, I'm Pastor Phil. Those are those bars. You're listening to Church on the Block. Real talk about hip hop, the church and the streets. Deuces. Thank you for listening to Church on the Block. Real talk about hip hop, the church and the streets. We're back here. Same time, same day. Next week. Come with us. In these streets,